Good evening, and welcome to Driving Forces, your weekly news show where we dive into the issues that are dominating discussion in politics, policy, and government. And this week, we certainly have a lot to talk about. We are over the hump of the midterm elections, but if you've been following this, not all races are decided, and the balance of power in Congress is still not fully decided. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined each week by um, my amazing, stellar, not enough adjectives to describe her, Celeste Katz-Marston. Celeste, good to be back with you today. How are you doing? I'm much better now that I hear your voice, Jeff, and I'm sure all of the tri-state area at least, at least agrees with me on that. <laughs> How late did you stay up Tuesday night? Late. <laughs> late, yeah, was, very late. And then I would try to go to sleep and then I would get back up, you know, checking the phone, trying to see if there were more updates and checking to see how the uh, the AP race calls were going and so on. But yeah, it was it was a late one, Jeff. The, well, the one thing I can stand about elections is I wind up staying up as late as I possibly can. I'm always like one more race. I just want one more race to know the results of it. And when I, the first thing when I get up is I run to the phone, to the TV, to the computer. I want to see what I missed. I did that on Wednesday morning because of the, and we'll talk about this today, the Sean Patrick Maloney race. I was really trying to figure out how that one was going to play out. And we will discuss that today. But uh, I'm curious what you are most focused on because, you know, for me, I was not surprised about the governor's race here in New York. I actually, though, did find a number of people, Celeste, that are Democrats. They identify as Democrats, but they told me they voted Republican because they, they just felt they wanted change right now. How, what, what was going through your mind? What were the things that you were focused on? Yeah, it, it's a Democratic state for sure. It has been for a while, but it's not like we have never had Republican governors. And I think, and we'll talk about this later in the program, maybe again during the call segment, but I remember last time we were here on the program, Jeff, talking about the midterms, talking about the parties. There were a number of people who called in and said, look, I'm over it. I am tired of being taken for granted by the Democratic Party. Does that necessarily mean that people have more Republican viewpoints? Uh, not, but I think that people have been a little bit put out. But then again, uh, the so-called red tsunami or red wave was uh, there were definitely some gains made. No noise. Pur purplish. That was, a, was a, I don't know, ripple, uh, things like that. Uh, words like that have been used. But um, I was surprised, I guess, by that. Um, the outcome in the Sean Patrick Maloney race. I'm not going to blow it up. I know we're going to talk about that later. I was very interested to see what was going to happen in Arizona. Very interested in that governor's race for a lot of reasons, for what it meant about Trumpism, post-Trumpism, what it meant about uh, election denial. Um, that's something I hope we can talk about today. But yeah, trying to, trying to keep my eye on a lot of different balls. Georgia, of course. Uh, I know that's in the mix too, Jeff. Yeah, and Nevada and Arizona vote counts are still taking center stage. I'm sure that is not going to be resolved by the time we finish the show tonight. There's just so much going on, uh, you know, and we've got a wonderful show for you with two wonderful experts that are going to be coming up in a few moments. The other race that I really was interested in seeing how it turned out was the Max Rose versus Nicole Maliotakis race. Mm -hmm. Nicole Maliotakis obviously being the one Republican in the city's House delegation. But in the end, she handily 
won re-election to continue leading the 11th congressional district. And that the margin between them was just incredible. I, leading into it, I thought it was going to be much closer, but then it wound up around 62% for her to 38% for Max Rose as he tried to regain the seat that, uh, that she, uh, uh, beat him to, uh, sit, step into a few years ago. Yeah, that's and look, whether you agree with Nicole Maliotakis or not, and if you are listening, Congresswoman, feel free to come on this program. I know we've tried to reach you a number of times, but somebody that I've interviewed many times that I remember back from my time in Albany. And look, again, whether you agree or disagree with her on policy, I think it's fair to say that she has been out there uh, advocating for Staten Island. She understands the district. She is of the district. She knows the people. And so not astonished, really, that Staten Island uh, and that area of Staten Island can and have been in play uh, for for quite a while. Yeah. And Celeste, what do we have on today's show? Because then we'll get to our first guest. Uh, what do we have on today's show? <laughs> well, <laughs> well to, on today's show, Jeff, we're going to be talking about what happened in the midterm elections. And then later on, we're going to invite you to call in and share your thoughts about how some of these races went here in New York, uh, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, wherever you may be looking. Uh, that's what's going to be on our show today, Jeff. Yeah. And, and we're going to start off in just a few moments by talking with political strategist Susan Del Percio. She'll fill us in on the latest developments in Congress and we'll look at nationally and then go a little to New York, of course. But then after her, we have got Bobby Cusa, political reporter at Spectrum, New York One News. I watched him throughout the night. I was going between a number of stations. I was watching him at the board, uh, giving us the latest results. And he'll bring us up to date on the election results and voting patterns here in New York State and New York City. So with that, let us move on to our first guest. I mentioned a few moments ago that Susan Del Percio is a nationally recognized crisis communications expert, public affairs strategist, and speaker. She's a political analyst. You may see her often on NBC and MSNBC, columnist for Know Your Value, and also a regular contributor to NBC News Think. And she also was a credited consultant for the award-winning HBO show, The Newsroom, which I loved. She's got nearly 30 years of experience in the political, government, nonprofit, and private sector arenas. And she is a trusted advisor who has helped leaders develop and execute focused strategic communications and winning crisis management campaigns. So with that, let us bring her forces. Oh, great to be with you. And I think this year puts me at the over 30 years of doing this. <laughs> I'm going to update that for the next time. <laughs> so let us start like 40, off. By, but it is only 30. <laughs> <laughs> let us start off by discussing the national landscape. I mean, in your view, overall, who are the biggest winners and what are some of the main takeaways nationally? I think nationally, the biggest takeaway is I think the American public said, I don't want crazy. I don't want, I don't want my rights taken away when it comes to my body, when it comes to women, men also, it was an issue for men. They said they thought it was fundamentally wrong for the government to control a woman's body. They said democracy is important. And they also said, we want to fight inflation and, and, and get the economy going. But, and this is the key part, but we don't buy into the Republican solution. And that's what should have Republicans on their heels. And, yes, I realize that the Republicans are taking back the House, but they're going to do it with, like, a record low number. This is not an impressive win by any measure for, for the Republicans. And as we know, the Senate is still up in the air. 
Yeah, and those numbers right now, let me just find that. Let's see, Senate, what, 48 Democrats, one picked up, seat, uh, 49 Republicans. Uh, you know, how do you think this, this is going to play out? Where are we going to land in the Senate? And then we'll move over to the House. Sure. I think it's Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Everyone's going to have Georgia on their mind come uh, December. Because it just based on the numbers right now, it does look like Mark Kelly in Arizona will will win. Um, he's grown almost a hundred thousand vote lead. Um, it's not as promising for Democrats in Nevada, where you have the the current incumbent uh, behind about you know thirty thousand votes, and it's a lot to make up. So I think you're going to see. You know, 50, the, the Republicans hitting 50, Republic, the Democrats at 49, and Georgia, like 2020, 2020, it all will come down to Georgia again. Susan, great to have you back on the show, as always. Happy to hear your voice. Um, just want to go back for a minute, stay on this for a second, about the, the red tsunami, the red wave that didn't happen. And it's like, okay, you're saying that people rejected crazy. Is it, is it? rejecting Trump, Trumpism, uh, the platforms of these individual candidates? What? Because you would expect, certainly in a, a midterm cycle with a president with these kind of approval numbers, you would have expected a little bit something more of a, a dramatic outcome here, right? Oh, my gosh. A president with one of the worst approval numbers going into midterms ever, an economy that most people feel are going in the wrong direction, inflation at record rates. Um, maybe not so much in New York, but in other places, a real problem with how the administration, the current administration's handling immigration and history. Like you mentioned, yes, this should have been a red wave. And it comes down to Donald Trump. If, you know, we talked about who had good nights. Well, the worst night went to Donald Trump because it was his candidates that he didn't only choose because he said, I like them, I think they're qualified. He chose them because they were little mini-me's, because they they just, as he said about um, J.D. Vance, he kissed my butt. Um, <laughs> Thank you for remembering this is a family radio station, Susan. <laughs> yes, I, I think I could say that. You um, can say that. Okay. Um, but him saying that, like, it, it, it really seared into people's minds. Like, this is... If you went with a Trump back candidate, you were you were saying I want Trump again, and people are tired. And it wasn't that they necessarily said I want choice over the economy. I think they said I want sanity and and normalcy over Donald Trump. And that's what was really important, and that's what turned a lot of tides. But and I know we're going to get into New York in a little bit, but it also you know there were Republicans that were very successful. If you look at, at uh, Kemp in, in Georgia, he won overwhelmingly um, over Stacey Abrams. John Sununu won uh, New Hampshire, where the re- Democrat um, Hassan won re-election in the Senate with, with big numbers as well. So it, it was those Trump mini-me candidates that just did horribly. And I think you can even make the argument when it came to Pennsylvania with Oz trying to, I mean, I think falsely, but trying to get away with being a moderate um, at the last minute, having Donald Trump come in was probably like the nail in the coffin for his campaign. 
You know, it's so interesting uh, is that I was just looking at, I think it was the Daily Beast that had posted uh, a piece about some of what Donald Trump had been sharing on Truth Social, uh, you know, and that he had boasted what he had picked so many winners, but insisted it wasn't his endorsement that doomed uh, Republican candidates like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. It, it's just been fascinating to watch this. I want to go back to Georgia because when you mentioned that about Brian Kemp, what's very interesting to me is the, the, the big gap between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp did not then translate into a, into similar numbers with Herschel Walker versus the sitting Senator Raphael Warnock. Why do you think that was? Why do you think the Herschel Walker Raphael Warnock race was so much closer than what we saw with Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp? Sure. And I'm sorry to get all like numbered and nerdy with you and geeky, but I will. Um, <laughs> So here's the interesting thing about that race. You look at the Kemp race and Kemp versus Abrams and, and the win there. And there were 28,000 votes on the libertarian line. Then you look at the numbers between Warnock and um, Walker and you see the vote drop off a bit. But you see all of a sudden 80,000 votes on the, on the um, libertarian line. So what does that tell me? It told me that a lot of Republicans said, I can't go for Walker, and I'm just going to go on the independent line instead of maybe not voting. So it wasn't just ticket splitters, but it was people who said, no way. And by 50,000 votes, that's a huge number. Um, they moved to the libertarian line to purposely not vote for Walker. If you're just joining us, we are speaking to political <laughs> consultant and commentator Susan Del Percio talking about the midterms here. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz here with Jeff Simmons. Susan, I have been we were talking a little bit earlier before you joined us about which races we were watching. And I have been fixated, fixated on Arizona. This is a mm. big thing for me. I mean, I want to hear it from you because I think you know more about the culture um, of the party and maybe the trajectory of the party than than I do, than a lot of us. Do. What does it mean that this is happening in Arizona? Is it a big deal or is it not a big deal that Carrie Lake um, could get in? She's been an election denier. She was also uh, certainly a well-known television anchor, television personality there. But you know, is she people are telling are telling us that she's kind of the, the next iteration or even a replacement for Trump and Trumpism. What do you what do you make of her? Yeah, she scares she scares me a lot. Um, and she should scare Americans a lot because she is either a complete sellout to her previous beliefs or has completely gone off the deep end and and drank the, the Trump Kool-Aid. Because I think she has gone more Trump than Trump in some ways. Um, the other thing when it comes to Carrie Lake is she you know, she represents something in the Republican Party that I think has been existing for the last year or so. Whereas the, the, the element that really pushed Donald Trump in the primaries um, in, in 2016 and that base 30 percent, I think that they exist without Donald Trump. And they will follow someone else if it's not Donald Trump. So that is a that is a hard 30 percent that is looking for hate in my mind. And that's what that's what Carrie Lake represents in, in her campaign. Um, and 
that is a very dangerous thing, and that's something that if she does win, she does become a national figure immediately, especially since Arizona, when we look at 2024, will play a pivotal role. So it is, she is bigger than Arizona, and, and that is concerning. I know we have more questions about about these races, but I got to jump ahead to this. Can't control myself uh, based on who she is and what she represents and the kind of base that you're talking about that she carries with her. What do you think? Are we looking at a I can't believe I'm saying this potentially uh, DeSantis Lake 2024 ticket or something like that? Is that within the realm of possibility? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think. Um, you know, I think DeSantis, by the way, for what it's worth. He may have a glass jaw. I haven't seen him fight a good fight, like, out in the public. He's very scripted. Um, I don't think he could handle someone like with Carrie Lake. I think she would be um, go very rogue on her own. And should she be elected, I think she's going to have a lot of trouble problems at home very quickly that she won't be able to manage. Susan, given that you mentioned DeSantis, you know, one of the things that's been on my mind is, and I've already, it's funny, I already got one, I think it was a city council member uh, today, immediately fundraising. They're, they're kicking in for the city council races already next year, but we're already starting to game how these results will translate into people positioning themselves immediately, looking at their results, how, how they fared in this election, looking ahead to the next presidential election. So does this I mean, are reading the tea leaves, who are some of the people who fared very well? I think DeSantis would be one of them that are now being seen as like the top contenders coming out of this these midterms uh, in the next presidential election. Well, I, Sununu, I've been sorry, excuse me. DeSantis is definitely someone who is out there. He has been able to basically make um, turn Florida from purple to red with his win in Dade County, um, you know, historic win, uh, actually winning the entire county outright. So he, he definitely has Florida in play. I'm someone, just for the record, that believe, does not – Trump may say he's running. I do not think he'll ever appear on a ballot again. So I think he becomes out of the equation. And then the question is, is by looking at what happened in 2022 in those midterm elections, does all of a sudden a Sununu, someone who's conservative, but was, you know, I don't want to say never Trumper, but he was certainly never for Trump and supporting his agenda. Does, is there room for, for normalcy to come back to the Republican Party? I think it may be too soon, but it could be interesting if you have a couple of people fighting it out on the conservative side and maybe, a, you know, a single um, sane Republican comes out on the Republican side. And Susan Del Percio, while we have you, just wanted to get a little bit into some of these uh, more local races, uh, congressional races. What do you make of Sean Patrick Maloney uh, conceding to uh, Mike Lawler, a Republican assemblyman? What did, did you see that coming from a mile away or was that a shocker or what's your take? I was surprised that um, that he lost. I thought he would squeak it out. But he, Sean Patrick Maloney is the reason why Democrats were in such bad positions in, in the Senate, state Senate and congressionally in New York. He fought to have the most conservative district lines done. And sure enough, they got greedy. The courts threw him out and they came up with their own, which would, by the way, was harmful to New York. Whether you like Carolyn Maloney 
or Jerry Nadler, who represent the East and West Side, respectfully, they 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 brought power. They were the committee heads, like committee chairman. They brought power to the state, and the, and they one of them got you know they had to fight each other, so we lost that influence. But you know there is something bigger going on in New York. I just want to again give you a couple of numbers that are really interesting when you look at the New York races this year. Mm-hmm. In 2016, Chuck Schumer won with 44 percent of the vote, 71-27, 44 percent. This year, he won with 13 percent, 56-43. And this is the one, we know that Hochul won by six, and everyone was making such a big deal by Lee Zeldin. But Tish James, who won with 27% of the vote in 2018, only won with 8% of the vote on Tuesday. 54-46, which is really close to the Zeldin-Hochul numbers, which tells me it may not have been so much the, the actual candidate in Lee Zeldin, but the message and the frustration of New Yorkers um, with what they what they're seeing from their their one party you know state basically you know it never it, it's it's very hard to to be successful very long if you just have one party rule so, so I before, think that, that was definitely in play before we move on here last question for you Susan Del Percio do you think this is a signal in any way that there might be room for a real third party movement in in New York. Um, third parties can be great. It could be great, but to do a real movement, no one's willing to put the time or the money in. My guess is it's at least a 10-year commitment to be viable because it's one thing to get on the ballot. That's not hard. It's creating the movement and the, and the infrastructure and the ongoing candidates and everything that goes along with that. So I think that there's room to sway independent voters, but not necessarily create an independent line. That will be matter in, let's say, 2026. Susan Del Percio, always a pleasure to have you here on the program with us. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they look? Um, I am on Twitter at Del Percio S. Perfect. Susan Del Percio, thanks so much for being here with us today on Driving Forces. Always, always glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Great to be with you guys. You're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here as always with the incomparable, incomparable Jeff Simmons. So we're going to shift now to talking more about really digging into what's going on and what just went on here in New York State, New York City. Um, we wanted to make the point that in our last program, we did talk about the candidates, the scene, uh, some of the big contests, but we did also remind everyone to flip over that ballot, four ballot proposals going in New York, three just in the city, all four of them passed by large margins, uh, including the Clean Water, Clean Air and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act that authorize the state to take on debt in the uh, the years to come to pay for flood risk mitigation, clean water infrastructure, land conservation, emissions reduction, other climate initiatives. That was a, a very big deal. And I believe, uh, Jeff, correct me if I'm right, um, this was the first time the, an environmental bond was on the ballot since mm-hmm. 1996. Yeah, and that passed uh, by an overwhelmingly positive margin. Same with the other three ballot questions that were just a, uh, focused in New York City. They were all aimed at promoting equity and racial justice. 
These measures are going to create a new office of racial equity within city government, change how poverty is gauged to better reflect life in our city, and add a preamble to the city charter that really spells out City Hall's commitment to writing past injustices perpetrated against various communities. Now, we're going to get to our second guest in just a moment, but before we do that, we do want to take just a moment or two to remind you that this conversation that we just had, as well as this show, this station, none of this happens without you, without your help. This is non-corporate, non-commercial WBAI, and we can stay that way with your help. So go to WBAI.org today. Become what is known as a BAI buddy like me and Celeste because we give sustaining contributions, goes right on our credit card each month. You can do that in the name of this show or any show that you care about on WBAI. And it really only takes about a minute or so to to support free speech community radio. So go to WBAI.org and give as much as you can to keep us on the air. You know, most of us at this station are volunteers. This is a 501c3 nonprofit. Jeff and I just celebrated our four-year anniversary of bringing you driving forces every week. Happy anniversary, Jeff. Happy anniversary. Uh, we, we give our time to the station because we believe New York needs and deserves independent free speech radio. Please chip in by going to WBAI.org today and lending a hand. That's WBAI.org. Your help keeps WBAI the kind of vibrant community. Community radio New Yorkers have supported for more than 60 years. So please consider becoming a BAI buddy in the name of this show, Driving Forces, to help us keep our signal on the air. And thanks. Now we're going to be moving on uh, to our next guest. This is a good friend of ours. Many of you have watched on election night many a time on Spectrum News, New York One. Of course, that is political reporter Bobby Cusa, a former reporter with Newsday, which I think he was when I first met him. Bobby's been a New York One reporter for almost 20 years, and he has covered it all. Blackouts, transit strikes, a 400-pound tiger living in a Harlem apartment. He's been part of, and my dog even approves, <laughs> he has been... Pablo, Pablo on air. Uh, Bobby Cusa, on the other hand, who is not barking, has been part of New York One's political team since 2009, and he's covered political corruption cases, gone inside the military courtroom at Guantanamo Naval Base to, con- to cover the ongoing 9-11 trial, and much, much more. Bobby Cusa, well, Bobby Cusa, I'm losing it because of the dog. Welcome to Driving Forces. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, well, I, you can see that we, we brought out the welcome mag in, uh, with the, uh, the, the canine core here. But you were uh, out there breaking down the results throughout the night on Tuesday. Just start citywide. Just tell us, what was the turnout like compared with earlier elections? Did we see more people early voting? Who was showing up? Yeah, so, you know, with, with early voting, it's a little hard to compare because we haven't had early voting for all that long. Um, but turnout typically is not great here in New York City, particularly when you compare it to upstate. Some parts of upstate have more than 50 percent turnout on Election Day. It was about 33 percent here in the city. And, you know, turnout overall was down from the last governor's race in 2018. But 2018 was a very unique year. That was uh, the Trump midterm election, and a lot of people were fired up to go out and vote. Uh, you know, those who were anti-Trump were fired up to go out there and get Republicans out of office. So that was kind of a high watermark. We were down from that this year, um, but not quite as abysmally low as you tend to see here in the city uh, in mayoral elections, uh, just as an example. 
Bobby, great to have you on the show. You know, we talked with Susan Del Percio more about national uh, races, the national landscape, but we'd love to know uh, more about how New York City and New York State fared when it came to Republicans and Democrats uh, making gains or suffering losses. Where were some of the biggest Republican gains? Where did we see the strongest performances among Republicans? Right. So, you know, there's been a lot made these last couple of days about how the red wave that was supposed to materialize nationally uh, never really happened. But ironically, here in New York City, which is supposed to be, uh, you know, this this Democratic bastion, we actually had some big Republican gains here in New York State. I mean, we saw uh, the governor's race was closer than I think a lot of Democrats would have liked. But where we really saw it was in the House, in the congressional races. It was really kind of a, a bloodbath, especially on Long Island. That's where we saw uh, Republicans. Uh, they flipped two uh, congressional seats on Long Island. They now control all four of the congressional seats on Long Island for the first time in something like 30 years. And both of those seats that they flipped were unexpected. I mean, they were likely Democratic seats if you looked at all the political prognosticators. And then there were, excuse me, there were a couple seats up in the Hudson Valley that the Republicans managed to flip. There was also another seat upstate that was uh, one that Democrats had been hoping to take. It was sort of an open seat. So, you know, bottom line, it was a net gain for Republicans of about plus four in New York State as far as uh, the 26 congressional seats. And by the way, compare that to what could have been. Remember, this is the year when Democrats tried to gerrymander the district lines, and for listeners who don't know all the ins and outs of the process, redistricting happens once every 10 years. They redraw all the district lines. The Democrats, because they control Albany, got to draw the lines, but when they did it back in February, the lines were so egregiously gerrymandered that they ended up getting thrown out uh, by the state's top court. They were ruled unconstitutional, and then they were redrawn by, by a court-appointed special master. But the way that the Democrats had drawn the lines, they were so incredibly favorable to Democrats that they were expecting to gain about four seats. Uh, right now, Democrats have 18 of the 27 seats in, in, uh, in the New York delegation. So they were expecting to go from 18 uh, up to 22, and now they lost four seats. So they went from plus four to minus four. That is a huge difference and as many people have remarked, that could be the difference ultimately in Democrats not keeping control of the House because we don't know what the final picture is going to look like yet. But it seems like Democrats may come up just short in keeping control of the House. New York could have made the difference. Uh, and instead, Democrats really lost ground here. You're listening to Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. We will be taking your calls shortly, so hang in there. But for now, we are having a discussion with Spectrum New York One News reporter, uh, political correspondent Bobby Cusa. So, Bobby, do we have any races that are still up in the air, uh, anything that's undecided? I know we're certainly looking at that situation in other parts of the country, whether it's ballots still being counted or even runoff situations. You know, there were a lot of tight races. Some of them, though, the some of them actually weren't even called yet by 
the AP, which you know generally is uh, sort of gets to adjudicate these sort of things. But some races were pretty close, and yet we saw someone declare victory and someone concede defeat. There's one upstate congressional race, 22nd District, where the Democrat Francis Canole has, I believe, has not yet uh, conceded that race. It's pretty close, about 4,000 vote difference. And also, uh, we haven't talked yet about the state legislature, which a lot of people are also keeping an eye on. Right now, the Democrats have an overwhelming majority, actually what's called a supermajority, in both the state Senate and the state assembly, which gives them uh, the ability to override any veto by the governor. So their numbers are huge. They saw some losses on Tuesday. Republicans won some seats in the state assembly, including right here in New York City, a couple of big upsets in South Brooklyn, uh, and a couple of pickups in the state Senate. They picked up a few, few seats on Long Island. But bottom line, the Democrats uh, are still going to have a big majority in Albany in both houses, but we don't know for sure if they will maintain their supermajorities until some really, really close races are decided. And remember, some of these races, it's, it's going to be days until we know the final outcome because the absentee ballots still have to be counted. Some of them are still coming in. So there are a, a few unsettled races, but for the most part, we have a pretty good picture uh, particularly when it comes to the House, uh, of what the makeup is going to look like. And, of course, uh, the big statewide races have all been settled. Uh, Kathy Hochul and, of course, uh, Senator and State Comptroller and uh, State Attorney General. And I know you Jeff know, but, is going to jump oh, in here. I always, I always, I always <laughs> like. I just, I had to interrupt though because I always like to do this whenever I possibly can, just to remind people that if results take longer to tabulate and to report out, that is not an indication that something is going wrong. It's an indication that something is going right. We have people voting by alternative methods, voting early, voting by mail, voting, voting in person. Lots of different things going on. So I just wanted to take two seconds to remind you that that does not mean that something is a miss that something is being uh, tampered with or anything. This is how the process is supposed to work, Jeff. So given what Celeste said, you know, some still being tabulated, I'm just curious, what results so far have surprised you in this week's elections? You know, I was surprised, you know, as Susan was talking about a few minutes ago, the fact that people like Chuck Schumer actually had pretty relatively close races. I mean, Chuck Schumer is somebody who is pretty well-regarded statewide. You know, he famously gets to all 62 counties across New York State every year. He typically outperforms other Democrats in these statewide races. He got 71% when he ran back in 2016, beat the Republican Wendy Long by... Uh, I think it was like almost 45 points. And then to see to see it be this close this time, and then Letitia James, Attorney General, losing by less than 10 points, that was kind of shocking. You know, we really expected those races to be blowouts. And there were some other races, too. You know, on election night on New York 1, we have a big touch screen. I try to do my Steve Kornacki impression where I'm, you know, touching the board <laughs> and looking at all the different races. And, and you know, before election night, we in our political team, we sit down and we decide what races are worth following on election night, which ones are most going to be close, which ones are most uh, noteworthy. 
and there were races we hadn't even talked about putting on the board that ended up becoming uh, not only being close, but you know, like in in the case of one of those Long Island races, the fourth district, that's the one uh, that used to be Kathleen Rice's seat. That one we didn't even have on the board, and it wasn't until the the end of the night that I even realized that the Democrat had lost in that race because we weren't we weren't keeping an eye on it. So the Republican gains were really beyond what I think most people were expecting. Now, a lot of the places, uh, those races were expected uh, to be close. A lot of them were, you know, when you look at the forecast, they were lean Democrat or maybe a toss-up. But in all of those cases, almost across the board, the Democrats uh, lost, with the one exception being that Pat Ryan seat up in the Hudson Valley, uh, District 18, I believe that one is. Uh, so that was the one race that was going to be close that the Democrats actually managed to eke out. They pretty much lost across the board in all the other closely contested House races. You know, Bobby, as you're speaking, and I had this uh, e-exchange with uh, uh, your colleague, Bob Hart, about this because I was uh, thinking about the races where we're expecting to be the tight races, the most dramatic, you know, ones uh, of the evening. And eons ago, back when I was at New York One, where did New York One's political team send me? Because I was the education reporter. I wasn't the political reporter. You guys sent me to the Spitzer campaign when he was up against Dennis Vacco because everyone assumed it was going to be Vacco moving right in. And it was, what, 1 or one thirty in the morning when it finally Spitzer was declared. So in many of these cases, you just don't know. You know, polls say one thing, but then you see something different on the street. I mean, I think about the reception we used to get when we were campaigning against Mike Bloomberg. I was with Bill Thompson and what we saw on the street was not reflecting what the polls were showing. So with that, I want to, Celeste is going to ask another question in a moment, but I just wanted to, you know, let you know that I just am having all these memories about what I thought would happen and then how it just would be turned on a die, turned on its head. Yeah, you know, in, in sports, there's an expression, that's why you play the game, right? No matter what things look like on paper, no mm -hmm. matter how much somebody is favored by to win, you got to play the game and see how it pans out. And it's the same thing in politics. doesn't matter what the polls say. doesn't matter – who looks like they have the advantage. You just never know what's going to happen on election night. Although, you know, nationwide, I, I talked earlier about how the red wave failed to materialize. But in a lot of cases, races actually ended up being pretty close to what the polling said. And in Kathy Hochul's race, you know, at the end of the day, the polls had shown the race getting tighter and tighter, Lee Zeldin pulling within single digits, and then we saw – Kathy Hochul win by less than six points. So that, you know, the polls actually weren't that far off when it came to the governor's race. But like I said, Republicans really did better in those House races than I think any of us were really expecting. And Bobby Cusa, since you uh, so conveniently and helpfully mentioned uh, Kathy Hochul, uh, just going back to to what happened between her and Republican challenger Lee Zeldin, what do you think ended up sort of uh, – clinching it for Kathy Hochul in the end? Is it just that uh, New York State has more Democrats than Republicans? Was it something she said or did? Was it something that Zeldin didn't do, didn't say, didn't see? What what happened there, do you think, that uh, you know put her over the top? Yeah, there's a, a few different factors here. I think for one thing, the fact that Lee Zeldin was really gaining ground in the polls these last few weeks, I think kind of lit a fire underneath the Democrats. They realized 
hey, wait a minute, we actually got to start pouring some resources into this thing or else we could actually lose. I think you go back a few months, nobody really thought this was going to be that closely contested of a governor's race. So that's why the last week or two you saw Kathy Hochul getting out there, doing rallies, campaigning at subway stops, and all of a sudden there was a real concerted effort on the part of Democrats. I think maybe that helped to turn out the vote to some degree, but also it's just numbers. It is so hard at this point for a Republican to win statewide. Democrats outnumber Republicans more than two to one statewide. Uh, Democrats are almost 52, uh, or rather almost 50 percent, I believe, of the total pool of registered voters in the state. There are now fewer Republicans registered in the state than there are uh, those who are not registered with any party. So the, the numbers just overwhelmingly favor Democrats. And, you, you know, you could put uh, you could put any warm body out there as the Democratic candidate for a statewide office and they'd have a pretty good chance of winning just based on the numbers. So, you know, it's hard to say whether there was any one element that put Kathy Hochul over the top. I think it would have things would have had to have gone terribly wrong for her to have lost to Lee Zeldin no matter how strong of a campaign he ran. Uh, so in the end, you know, a win is a win, but I think Kathy Hochul really would have preferred to have pulled out this race by a higher margin. And on that note, Bobby Cusa, where can our listeners go if they'd like to learn more about you and follow your coverage? Well, for starters, they should be subscribers to Spectrum. I hate to shill for the cable company, but if you uh, have a Spectrum account, then you can download our app. You can watch us uh, through the cable box. Uh, we are Channel One, of course, if you're a Spectrum customer, Spectrum News New York One. And then, of course, uh, you can go to ny1.com. And if you have our app, you can find all our stuff there as well. Bobby Cusa, thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI's Driving Forces today. All right. Thanks, guys. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and Celeste Katz-Marston here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Phone lines are now open, so make sure you have the studio number, 212-209-2877. Once again, that's 212 212- Two zero nine two eight seven seven. We had some great insight from Bobby Cusa and Susan Del Percio, but now we want to know what you think. So please give us a call at 212-209-2877. And since a certain state is on our minds today and could determine party control, we thought we'd bring you a special song today. We will be right back.
Midnight Train to Georgia, Gladys Knight here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz. Marston here with Jeff Simmons. This is Driving Forces. Phone lines are open, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. What did you think of this midterm madness? Give us a call, 212-209-2877. We're going to go right to the phones. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Hi, how you doing? Good. What's going on? My name is Christian. I'm calling. I'm calling from the Bronx. Welcome. And um, I was, I was going. I woke up Tuesday and I said, you know what? <clears throat> I said, I'm not going to vote. But make a long story short, I ended up voting. Um, it's. I mean, it's. It's. Um, you, I mean, you can't blame uh, the people. The people, man. They they came out and in, in, in droves and voted this election because. Um, the reason why, even even though that red sweep didn't happen, but we have some problems in certain regions where Republicans might take control, is because um, it's all these um, these election deniers, man, and these um, the, the, these ultra right groups, man. They have really become like a swarm of ants. So I think that that's the reason why. Okay, well, thank uh, you. Thank you very much for your call. We we certainly do appreciate it. And that is something that we have talked about on this program for sure. Uh, election denial, Jeff, uh, a very big issue. And uh, while some uh, uh, prominent election denying candidates did lose their contests, there are still lots and lots of people, uh, particularly in, in the House, for example, who have refused to acknowledge that Joe Biden is the legitimately elected president of the United States. Mm-hmm. And and I would add that that's a pretty interesting attitude to have, considering that the reason that they are in Congress is because they accepted the election result uh, of their own contest as legitimate, right? I agree. <laughs> I just think about that one for a second, but I, I think we uh we have more people holding if if I'm not mistaken. Two one two two oh nine two eight seven seven two one two two oh nine two eight seven seven. What do you think about these uh, relatively narrow margins um of victory by some of the, the best known uh most popular historically Democrats, uh, Chuck Schumer for for one two one two two oh nine two eight seven seven two one two two oh nine two eight seven seven. Let's get to our next call. Welcome to WBAI. You are on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Hey, it's uh, Roger from the Milford. Good evening. Hi, Roger. How are you? Good. Always an excellent program. Really appreciate that you invite listener feedback. Uh, I think your guest was spot on when he said the Democrats could run just about anybody. Uh, look at Pennsylvania. They actually elected a dead man um, as, as one of the state representatives. The guy was on the ballot. He passed away. He was elected anyway. And the uh, the candidate for Senate seems to have challenges in terms of communication and verbal skills and thinking. So that's that issue. Um, the other in issue, that, in the in the I don't I don't mean to interrupt in Pennsylvania you're talking about John Fetterman who suffered a, a stroke and and is, uh, is received yeah. okay so uh, and I'm, I just want to say that I I, I 
think I understand the point that you're making, although I'm not sure it's been proven. I think he's had some sort of auditory and verbal processing issues. I don't think that that necessarily uh, translates to an inability to to do the cognitive functions necessary for the office. But again, I, I don't mean to I don't mean to interrupt your point. You're talking about the Democrats you're saying can pretty much run whoever they want. Yeah, I think your, your last guest made that point. Um, and I, I, I said this before, the Democrats have been betrayed working people. It used to be the party of peace, justice, uh, taking care of our own. Now they're promoting war and uh, spending endless money uh, with this Ukraine business, more military uh, expenditures, and, and nothing for uh, taking care of our own people. So, Roger, are you think thinking about, would you think about changing your party affiliation or uh, not voting or voting consistently for some other party? How, how are you going to deal with that? I was a fan of Bernie Sanders until he got stabbed in the back uh, by his own, by the, by the Democratic Party. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really at a loss here. Um, you know, I don't like either of the two parties. I think they're, you know, two sides of the same corrupt coin, basically. Great. Well, thank you so much for your call. Thank you for your thoughts. 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. I think we have one more caller. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Uh, this is Connie, and I'm calling from Chelsea. What's and, on your mind, um, Connie? Well, I, I went and voted like a good girl, and uh, out in front of the, <laughs> the place to vote was a homeless going through a real Comstock load. He it was some somebody's office. Apparently had had gone down, and so everything was shredded. So that was a problem because there was a wind, and you know there was just all this shredded paper going around uh, around him. But you could see he was getting some good little machines and stuff like that, and he was put, putting it all. And I said, it, but it was right in front, right in front of where people were supposed to go and vote. And I know a lot of people were thinking about this other guy, this this hardliner uh, with the law and order and all that business as far as the mayor goes, and um, and just feeling that he was like more of a vital type of person that we think of in terms of New York. But anyway, um, I mean, oh, the, the governor. But um, anyway, I said, I went over to him and I said, is there any way I could convince you to take this across the street because you're right in front of where the people are going to be voting. I was afraid that that they all were going to vote for the Republican guy. Just taking a look at at, at you know how horrible the street situation was, and this was like nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, he said no. And uh, as I walked a little further, I saw that there was a guy waiting for me who was um, he's like the head of this coffee place that I go to around the corner. He owns it. And uh, I said, well, you know, the guy wouldn't change his mind. And he said, I just wanted to make sure that you were all right, because mm-hmm. these days you can't talk to homeless because they might be on meth or something. You know, they could be dangerous. And it's not like, you know, a, just regular, sweet, crazy heroin addicts or something where they're trying to stay awake. But that, that meth is a different deal. And Connie, so we're going to have... I'm okay. cutting you off on Libius. We're going to have to wrap up the show very shortly. Did you want like 10 more seconds? Oh, any, what's your key takeaway? The key thing you want us, want to leave us with? All this stuff about Seattle and, uh, you know, uh, LA and all that stuff. I, I'd like to be able to do something anyway, uh, to help, help the homeless 
and to just move that thing along a little bit. Got it. Connie, thank you for giving us a call today. Yeah, thank you. We just we wish we could have more time for the call segment. Always glad. I really appreciate everybody who calls in. We just want to thank you. And we also want to remind you that if this show or any program on WBAI means something to you, you can step up. You can cast your vote in favor of WBAI by supporting this station. Remember, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. That means your gift is tax deductible. So go to WBAI.org today. Click on ways to donate. Every dollar you give contributes to our ability to keep this station going and to bring you these important, timely conversations about politics, public policy, government, arts and culture, and so much more. Your help keeps WBAI, the kind of vibrant community radio New Yorkers have, New Yorkers have supported for more than 60 years. Please consider becoming a BAI buddy to help us keep our signal on the air. And thanks again. Jeff, what's and- coming up on Sunday? And I oh, will and be Veterans back. Day is coming up tomorrow. Happy yes. Veterans Day. And happy Veterans Day to my favorite veteran, Pop. Happy Veterans Day, Pop. Jeff, what is coming up on Sunday? So, Connie, if you're still listening, you will want to tune into City Watch on WBAI this Sunday at 10 in the morning. I'll be hosting. I'm focusing on the city's affordable housing crisis and homelessness. My guests are Rachel Fee, Executive Director of the New York Housing Conference, then Neil Coleman, Executive Director of Trinity Church Wall Street Philanthropies. And then I'm going to open up the phone line. So, Connie, if you're listening, you definitely want to call in then so we can continue this conversation. I want to thank today's guests, Susan Del Percio and Bobby Cusa, for, for providing the latest info on this week's election. Also want to thank the wonderful Reggie Johnson for always keeping the show humming along we are preempted next week i will be back here with you on thanksgiving afternoon at this time and my plan is to bring you a story or two from average new yorkers not the policy experts or politicos but the people who've got inspiring stories illustrating the spirit of the giving season so thank you so much for tuning in today and have a wonderful evening